If you have your Bibles with you today, please open them up. We're in the book of Jonah today. So you'll find Jonah nestled among the minor prophets somewhere in between like Obadiah and Micah. You'll find Jonah as you're flipping there. If you find it, hold a finger there and then turn a finger to the last verse in the book of Matthew. So the very last verse in the book of Matthew and the book of Jonah. We're going to be studying the book of Jonah today. As you guys know, um, we, we study the, the New Testament on Sunday mornings and the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. And then what I like to do is, is when we finish a book study, I like to, in between the two book studies, do a topical study for a couple weeks. And since we haven't been in the Old Testament for a while, I thought, what, what in our, in our two-week topical, let's go to the Old Testament and, uh, and highlight a book, the book of Jonah. So that's what we're going to do today. We are on our way to Romans. So we just finished first and second Peter. We're going to embark on a new series through the book of Romans, which I don't know about you guys, but when I think about it, one knee smotes the other. Like it's a little scary going through for me, you know, just as we attack the book of Romans, it is deep. And as Peter warned us last week, remember at the end of Peter, and he said that some of the things that Paul wrote are a little hard to understand and a little confusing. Well, we're, we're headed that way. So, um, so today we get a little reprieve and the message of Jonah is for Jonah to go and share a message. And the, the first word is arise and go. And so the, 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 the message that, that God gives to you and to me is to go. Somebody say go. Go where? Where are you guys going? We just got started. Um, so, so Abraham was called to go. The amazing thing about the faith and why Abraham is the father of faith is because God said, Abraham, get up and go. And, and, and Abraham rose up and he went without ever asking the question, where should I go? Where am I going? And, and it seems crazy, but Abraham was such a father of faith that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He just responded to God's call in the New Testament. We have this call to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. Now, now we're going to get the equivalent to that in the book of Jonah in basically the same um, type of call where this prophet is called to rise up and go and preach the gospel. Now, we, we showed you a little video two weeks ago where a pastor is, is joking about the Great Commission and how the Great Commission is for you and it's for me. And yet we read this commission of Jesus and somehow we, we don't apply it to our own lives. Like it's not for me somehow. Like that, that great commission to go into all the nation and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's for the pastors. That's for the missionaries. That's for the leadership team. But I, I'm not qualified and I'm not able and I'm not the one that's supposed to go and make disciples. I can barely go and fill a pew some Sunday mornings. When, when I get out of bed, I was going to keep going, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to let you guys go for a minute. Um, but yet, this call to go is for every one of you. I, I want to look at it. And, and you know, I, I don't know how they get these numbers, Barna Group and these different groups. So don't quote me on this stuff. But I don't make them up. I just want to let you know that. I read them somewhere in some really fancy Christian literature that I, I study all week hard and... So I read these things, and this, this one says that 95%, that's a big number, of evangelical Christians have never led another person to faith in Jesus Christ. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to, by show of hands, and, and we're going to find out who's who in here um, in a minute. But 
you know, whether you ask yourself that question, would that be true in this room? Have you led someone to Jesus Christ? Have you led someone either through prayer, through faith? And yeah, we all witness with our actions. And you know that old saying, always be a witness for Jesus. And if necessary, use words. Like that's cute, right? And and true. But goodness, if you're going to witness, you have to use words. You've got to share the gospel. You've got to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. But, but okay, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make anybody raise their hand. But, but I did want you to just check for your own, in your own heart, what, where, where do you fit in that category? And if you've never led another person to Jesus Christ, why is that? Is that because you're not called? Well, well we established last week and we hammered it a couple of weeks ago, you are called. That great commission is just as much for you as it is for the pastors, as for the missionaries, as it is for the, 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 the people that call themselves born-again Christians, that your call from Jesus is to go into the, all nations and make disciples. And, and we talked about how we read some, some call of God like that on our lives, and we, we, we do it in a Bible study among other Christians. And we, we say, okay, everybody, we have to memorize this verse by next week. And then we go and we memorize the verse. And then the next week we say, okay, now in the Greek, the verse means this and this and this. And we've studied it and we've memorized it and we know what it is in the Greek. The problem is we just don't do it. You know, and the joke from the video was that if I told my son, hey, go clean your room. And the next day I go back and my son's room's not clean. He says, hey, dad, I had some friends over and we, we, had, a, we had a study about what you said. You said, go clean your room. And, and then we broke it down in the Greek, dad. And in the, in the Greek, did you know the word room is, is erda in the Greek? And, 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 and we talked about it and we memorized it and we learned it in the Greek. But you didn't actually clean your room. So when I pull my foot out of your hind parts... Then, then, then go and clean your room. And, and, and yet we, we talk about it, but we don't do it. And so listen to the Great Commission. This is a commission that Jesus gave. Several places it's recorded. I ask you to turn to the one in Matthew. And it says, then the 11 disciples. Why 11? Because Judas went out and hung himself. So now the 12 disciples have become 11. And then the early church in the book of Acts, they're going to add another disciple um, mistakenly. And then God's going to raise up Paul, who was intended to be the the, the replacement for Judas. And it says, When the eleven went away to Galilee, to the mountain on which Jesus had appointed for them, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When we baptize here on a couple Friday nights from now, we are going to baptize you exactly as Jesus told us to. We're going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, who is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're teaching all the things that, that God commanded us. And that's why here we have, a, we have a mantra that we're going to teach the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, every chapter, every verse, because so many times in the Scripture, and including here in Jesus' last words, He said to teach all things that I have commanded you. And we know that all things include the Old Testament. They include all the scriptures of God. Jesus himself on the road to Emmaus said he took them back and beginning at Moses, he taught them all things concerning himself. So um, we, we have, and then in, in Mark's gospel, we have the Great Commission again, where, where Jesus is repeating the same thing. And Mark adds a few things that, that Matthew left out. 
And so, you know, when we talk about Jesus's last words, anybody's last words, like, you know, the, the best part of a, of the most suspenseful movie you ever saw is, is, is champ. And, and he, and, and his son is there and champ is dying. And, and with his last dying breath, he wants to get out his final word. And his son has got his ear. Dad, what is it? Dad, I, I, I left the coffee pot on, you know, and it's like those, those last, what are they? What is the last word he's going to say? And, and when we think of Jesus, you know, I often say his crunch time message, those words were John 14 and, and John 15 because he was hours away from dying on the cross. Now, or you could look at the last seven statements of Jesus that he uttered on the cross. One of the most powerful s- studies in your Bible are the last seven statements that Jesus made upon the cross. Powerful. And maybe those were his last words, and indeed they were. But really, what, what, what the story goes on, right? Those were his last words on, on this side of the cross. He died on the cross, and what happened on Sunday? Here is, here is all up again. He's riz. So he riz on Sunday, or rose, or whatever he did. And, and then he appeared to 400 at one time. He appeared on the road to Emmaus. And, and, and here we have, right before the, the disciples were there, when Jesus was caught up into heaven for the last time, they watched. And remember the angels came down and they said, remember, they said, this same Jesus who you watched go up into heaven will come again. But in the meantime, there's work to do. So stop looking up into heaven, Christians, and start get to work and start sharing the gospel. But really here is Jesus' last words before he was taken up after the cross. And his last words were for you and I to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, one of the things that kind of jumped out the last time I went through this in Mark's gospel was look at verse 14. Or if you're in Mark, turn to the very last chapter in Mark, just like we did in Matthew. We got Matthew, Mark. We could do the same in in Luke's gospel, but we're going to stop after this one. And in Mark 16, in verse 14, it says, Later he appeared to the eleven again as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of hearts. So in the Great Commission, he was getting after him a little bit. He, it wasn't all like fluffy. You know, when we teach this sermon about the Great Commission, we want it to be like this firework thing where Jesus is calling his 11 guys in that are left and Judas is gone and he just barbecued some really killer fish for him on the sea. And he said to Peter, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. And, and then he just in this dynamic, powerful firework setting tells them, go into all the nations and preach the gospel. And make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all things that I've commanded you. But yet, in context, we catch this thing in Mark where he's getting after him a little bit. Your dad or mom ever have to get after you? Boss ever have to get after you a little bit? When someone gets after you in love, but you know what they're saying is right, you know you need corrected and and, and you need a little push in the right direction. And in love, they say, hey... You're messing up. Look, check it out. What you did was wrong. And, and, or however the correction comes. And Jesus is there. And he's in, in the context, he's getting after him a little bit. And he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's a good start for some of you. I saw a farm with some cows and some horses down the street. He never led nobody to Jesus. Go lead one of them cows to Jesus. You probably get some converts. I wouldn't try them donkeys, though. They're not, they're not very smart. They take a little bit longer. But he said to every creature, 
And listen, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. Let's turn back to Jonah. So there's the New Testament call for you and my, me. And now we have this Old Testament prophet. Jonah's an interesting guy. Jonah is a, an amazing um, story in the Old Testament. Number one, I'm going to start the story with Jonah by telling you that Jonah was a real story. Jonah was not a, a, a parable. It wasn't something that, that, that was made up in order to, to illustrate a truth. But it just really didn't happen. It was a real story. Real characters really was in the belly of the fish for three days. You know, someone, and I had this happen to me recently. And for whatever reason, Jonah, Daniel, Isaiah, Daniel and Isaiah, because Daniel and Isaiah prophesied so precisely and so accurately hundreds of years before the events happened that when these things in Daniel or in Isaiah, who calls a king by name a hundred years before he's born, that, that people just couldn't believe Isaiah actually wrote it. And Daniel the same way. The scrutiny of Daniel because Daniel laid out all of the empires in succession that were going to take over and what was going to happen. Oh, he couldn't have wrote it. There's no way. And, and, and Jonah's another one. Another one of the Old Testament books that takes a lot of heat. And, you know, the, there was a story. You guys heard the story of the, the, the skeptic and he's talking to a little girl and he's like, you believe in the Bible? You don't actually believe that a whale swallowed a man for three days, do you? And she's like, yeah, I do. He's like, how in the world could that ever happen? She said, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And he said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? What if Jonah's in hell? She said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> there was a, a true story of a, a seminary in one of our major seminaries. And, and unfortunately, in, in, within the Christian circles, seminaries have become in so many places cemetery. It's where, it's where you go for your faith to die, even among Christian seminaries. And there's a seminary professor in one of our major seminaries with a big label on it. And he was teaching in his class that, that Jonah was not real and that these uh, Daniel and Isaiah were not written the same thing. And he's a, he's a seminary professor. And one of the students challenged him and said that Jesus believed in Jonah. And the professor said, well, we know more about Jonah than Jesus did. And then he tried to backpedal, but it was too late. His heart was already exposed and the issue was already there that he wasn't even saved to be able to say that he knew more about Jonah than Jesus did. It's crazy. But Jesus gives testimony and for good reason. And multiple times Jesus mentions, let me, let me read one for you. You don't have to turn there. I should have kept you in the New Testament, but in Matthew's gospel, you can just make a note in, in chapter 12 in verse 38, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teach, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered and said to the scribes and the Pharisees an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And listen, then Jesus went on to speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he said, The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Who's the greater than Jonah that was here? Jesus. 
And, and, and Jonah, this mad prophet, this racist, bigot prophet, is going to run through Nineveh, screaming at him with eight words, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The Ninevite men are going, people of the nation are going to repent and turn to God. And, and the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees among Jesus' day didn't repent or believe. And Jesus calls them out on. He says, on judgment day, you're going to be being judged. And the men of Nineveh, they're going to rise up and judge you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And yet a greater is Jonah is here and you didn't receive. So now again, back to the book of Jonah. I, I, I'm going to teach the entire book of Jonah today, all four chapters. So we're so far in, we haven't got to verse one yet, but we're not ready for verse one yet. Um, we're going to get there and then we're going to jam. Um, the call first for you is to go. So again, I didn't make you raise your hands. I was just teasing you. I was hoping you probably didn't believe me anyways, but I was trying to make you nervous that I was actually going to ask you to raise your hand if you led somebody to Christ. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I've never led anybody to Christ and I won't be able to raise my hand and it's going to be embarrassing, that, that that would challenge you a little bit in that to go and, and share the gospel and understand you're called and you're, you're qualified and you're commissioned. And, 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 and sharing your faith and using your words as you share your faith. Now, that's the first part is just the heart and the commission and the call to, to receive that and say, yes, Pastor Chris, yes, Jesus, I will share my faith. I want to lead somebody to the Lord. If every person in this church led one person to Christ in 2017, when, we, when I stood here next year, well, how would our church look? Twice as big. Okay? If every one of those people led someone to Christ in that year, in 2018, we'd be here and the church would be quadrupled from what it is now. Do you know how long it would take? you know how many years it would take for us to be a mega church of 10,000? With this group here leading one person and them doing it? Seven years. In seven years, we'd be a mega church, 10,000 people, if, one, if you just led one person to Christ a year. The, 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 so first the call. Now, how about the training? How about, how about like, okay, pastor, then you want me to, then you need to help me. You need to teach me. You need to equip me because that's your job. That's my job is to equip the saints to go and do the work of the ministry and do the gospel. And so, um, so in equipping you, I, I, I don't have time today to go through and, and lay out. And that's not what we're going to do today, but I do want to let you know there's resources out there. And if you have a heart, I'm going to give you just three. You can write them down um, and, you, and say you want to get better. You just want to get better at sharing your faith. Okay. Um, number one, Greg Laurie has a new online course and it's called, it's called tell someone, write that down. Greg Laurie, tell someone you can, you can watch the videos online and he lays out for you some, some practical, helpful ways that you can be out there sharing the faith and sharing your, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through your faith. Tell someone with Greg Laurie, Ray Comfort, R-A-Y, Comfort, C-O-M-F-O-R-T, has a, uh, a, a street witnessing guide or tool where he uses the Ten Commandments to share his faith on the streets. And the number one thing that you're going to face in sharing your faith on the streets, number one lie, number one wall you're going to run into on the streets. Anybody want to take a wild guess what you think it is? What, are, what is most of the people going to tell you when you share your faith about Jesus Christ? Or when you when you tell them their need for a Savior, they're going to tell you, I'm a good person. 
I know, I'm not perfect, yeah, I've sinned, but I'm, I'm a good person, and when the good old boy upstairs, you know, and him and I, I mean, he's going to understand, and he's not going to send me to hell, I'm, 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 I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer, or, you know, I'm, I'm basically a good person. Well, Jeffrey Dahmer went to heaven, surprisingly enough, because he got saved in prison by the amazing grace of God, and I know that tweaks us, but it's going to fit in the story today. But anyways... This good. So what Ray Comfort does in his thing is he goes through um, basically to help people understand their need for a savior. So his his witnessing thing, you might have seen some of his stuff. It's always the same. And I'll I'll, have, I'll use you guys as guinea pigs right now. So this is how he does it. Um, and again, you 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 can raise your hand if you want, but no, I'm just kidding. You don't have to. Have you ever told a lie before? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands. I'm just kidding. I don't want I don't want to embarrass my wife in front of all you guys. That's, because she would just keep her hand down the whole time and then make the rest of you guys look bad. And, no. Um, ha- have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in her heart. Have you ever looked upon the other sex lustfully? And, and he'll use these and he'll talk to these good people thing. And, and then they'll say, well, yeah, yeah. And they'll admit to at least a couple of them. And he'll say, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterous blasphemer. So when you stand before God one day, your label is not good person. Your label is liar, blasphemer, adulterer. Um, and, and God is going to judge you based on those things. How do you think you'll fare on judgment day? Oh, shoot. I might be in trouble. Well... The, 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 the gospel is good news and the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross in, in your place and he paved the way for you to be forgiven of your sins so that on judgment day, Jesus will be in your place and when God looks at you, he won't see those sins. He'll see his son and he'll allow you into his kingdom. And, and this witnessing tool and this, this plan of, of sharing your faith on the streets and that's with Ray Comfort. And then the last one... Um, it's something you all can do. It's something that's been used in the church for a hundred years or hundreds of years, probably. It's called the Romans Road. And as a Christian, it's something to be familiar with. You can go online, just Google Romans Road. And it basically goes through about seven scriptures in the book of Romans in order that lays out the gospel. You, you know, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one good, no, not one, that we need a savior, that Jesus died, that if you trust and believe on the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. And it goes through about five scriptures, five to seven scriptures in Romans. Sometimes you see John three sixteen in there. And it lays out for you a way that you can take people right through some verses in the book of Romans that share the gospel and share their need for a Savior. So those are some ideas for you if, if you want to use those. Now we actually are in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord. Now we've got to stop there and talk for five more minutes. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's next verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go. That's the great commission. I love that word arise, don't you, Jay? Arise. That's what we, yeah, I asked Jay, you know, we had our youth group. We were called unashamed youth. And that was under Tommy. And when Jay came in as the youth leader, I said, hey, do you want to keep arise or, or do you want to keep unashamed? Or do you want to, he said, let me pray about it. And so he's like, I think we want to, we want to change that. That was kind of the thing. We want to do our own thing. And he said, he said, I've been praying about it. And he said, what do you think of the idea of rise? And I was like, this is a cool kid right here. This is, 
This is good stuff. I taught a pastor. I don't know if you knew that, but I taught a pastor's retreat. I'm sorry. I taught a men's retreat last year. And my theme was that God put on my heart for that retreat was to call it a rise because of this word in so many places in the Bible, old and new Testament, we get this word and it's just a manly word. It's just a cool, like a rise and fight. You know, it's like something we can get behind in, in, in the gospel and for Jesus that we're going to arise. And there's just something cool about this idea to arise. And so when Jay said, Hey, what do you think about a rise? It was cool. God had already spoken. So we worked on some Actually, I don't have it today, but he's working on a new logo for our youth group, but they're going to be called Arise Youth. Is that cool or what? All right. Whatever. I like you guys anyways. You don't have to clap. Um, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Literally, it's reached an apex. It's reached the the nostrils of God, and the Ninevites are a wicked people. And I want you to go to that city and and preach the gospel and give a message that I'm going to give to you. Now, this this in the background of my picture there, and it's just it's just made up. It's not accurate, but this is supposed to be. That's a Tigris River there. This is supposed to be a picture of. Um, twice in the book of Jonah, God himself calls it a great city. At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah's going to say he began and it took him three days to, to get from one side of the city to the other. So it was three, I don't know how many miles you cover a day on foot. And Jonah was upset. He was stinking. He was bleached white and he was probably running. So he probably covered a lot of ground. But three days is how big the city was and how long it took. History tells us that, that the, the Ninevite was this was at the time of the world, the city of Nineveh was the Mecca. It was the largest city and the biggest population in the world at the time. It was, there was a wall that was 100 feet high around Nineveh that three chariots abreast could ride along the walls of the city of Nineveh. It was a massive, massive city in antiquity that um, the ruins are still there today. And um, in this city, and the Assyrians or the Ninevites were um, the most wicked people. Now, they were basically the first ISIS. And their tactics of terror was, was exactly what ISIS uses today. What's interesting is that ISIS has basically risen out of the Ninevites or Nineveh. The same place where, where ancient Nineveh is, is in northern Iraq. They're the same place that ISIS has grown out of. And the same heart of terror and what ISIS does to instill terror and fear in the heart of its enemies is nothing new. It's an ancient tactic and the Ninevites perfected it. They, they, they perfected a torture where they would take their victims and they would, they would skin them alive. And they would start at the toes and they, and they could get about half of your skin off before and you could survive that and watch it happen before you, you passed out and eventually died before they finished. Then once they would skin people alive, they would take the skins and post them on the walls of Nineveh as a, as a warning. They, they were the first ones who would take the heads of their enemies and put them on spikes and put them around the outsides of the city. And then when they were just skulls, they would make pyramids of skulls on the outside of the city as a warning. When, when the Assyrians or the Ninevites came to your city and, and conquered you, they would put fish hooks in your jaw and in your lips and they would string you to the next, the next prisoner and prisoner and they would lead you back with fish hooks in your jaw. 
The Assyrians were so violent and terrible that when they would enter a city to siege it, many times in, in, in history, the people in the city would commit mass suicide rather than fall into the brutality of the Assyrians. This is ISIS exactly today. Ten years ago, when, 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 when I taught Jonah, I didn't have this example of ISIS and that type of tactic, but that's exactly what it is today. How many of you guys seen the video of some ISIS soldiers and they, they've just killed and beheaded a bunch of people and they're in this courtyard area about the size, smaller than this room, and there's a few of them in there and they have somebody's head and it's on the ground and the guys think it's funny and they're, they're playing soccer with his head and trying to kick it past each other and going back and forth. You can watch the video online. Don't recommend it, but it's out there. And as, as we know, the, the entire point of ISIS is, is, is terror and fear. And the, Ninevite, the Ninevites protected that. The Ninevites invented it. And, and here God calls this prophet, this Hebrew prophet, to go to a Gentile nation of wickedness and perversity and share the gospel with them. And guess what? He don't want to go. Would you want to go? How many of you guys want to go to ISIS? Now, now human nature, right, in our heart, we, we can understand. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I want to go to ISIS, but not with no gospel. I want to go with my M16. And Well, yeah, yeah, right. That's how we want to go to ISIS. But God called him to go to these people, and he didn't want to go. Now, we could say he was afraid and because of their brutality and, you know, and, and some of those things probably naturally. So, but Jonah's going to tell us. We don't have to guess why Jonah didn't want to go. He tells us in the last chapter exactly why he didn't want to go. He says because he knew that God was going to be gracious and merciful and that if he went, God was going to forgive him. And because he hated him and didn't want God to forgive him, he didn't want to go share the message. But, you know, the idea was radical to go. And it's the call of God for us to go. You know what the whole um, refugee crisis... Now, I don't, I don't want to open a can of worms today and get into the refugee crisis thing, but let's get into the refugee crisis thing. You know what? The, 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 there's, there's, especially from like maybe the left or from atheists or non-Christians, you know, I've read posts and blogs that say, oh, you be, Christians ought to be ashamed of yourself if you don't want to open our borders and let refugees in. I'd love for them to see... What's happening? And if you, has anybody followed what's happening with the refugees that have been opened in the in France? How about in in Sweden? How about in Germany, where they're rioting in the streets? In Sweden, they've made Sweden the rape capital of the world. You know where you won't see these stories? CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, Fox News, or any of your mainstream media. This should be on every channel. On on it's just huge stories when you actually see what's happening in France. And it's getting so bad in France particularly that they're even now in places in Paris, France. And there's complete riots and takeovers. I forget which one it was, but again, you can look this stuff up, but either it was either 2020 or 60 Minutes, one of the majors went to Sweden recently, and it was they were as far left as you can go and liberal as you can go, and they wanted to paint a picture of how wonderful it is of the Swedish people who just opened their borders to hundreds of thousands of refugees and how wonderful it is. And, and these reporters went down in, in the place, and they got beat up and attacked. And it was so dangerous, they caught it on camera, completely backfired, that they could not even go into these places. They catch on video, and if you've ever seen this building from the outside, this is a, this is a two-story building, there's buildings on either side of us, and, and there's a building about this size that was the police station. And it's a ghost town. 
the police have completely moved out. Why? Because it's too dangerous for, for in their own country to have a police presence in this, in this community. And so they've completely moved out. Foreigners do not go in there. You do not go in there with a camera as these people attempted and in a matter of minutes were brutally attacked. It, it, it's complete chaos. And, and, and to think that, that, oh, you know, we're not Christians if we don't allow this, this into our own borders and in our own country and our own thing. Now, now the, here's the right, the dichotomy, because we, we are absolutely, and it's true, we are absolutely hypocritical as Christians if we don't have a heart that wants to see all people come to Jesus and a heart as Jesus, as the Bible tells us in multiple places, to, to entertain and welcome strangers. And Jesus himself was a refugee in, in Egypt, was he not? Was Jesus a refugee and his family in Egypt fleeing from Herod for a time? Yes. And, and our Lord needed some refugee status in another place. And so, yeah, it's hypocritical. But does that mean as Christians that we throw common sense and security out the window? Absolutely not. You know what Jonah did? You know what I don't see in these stories? I don't see where God says, hey, the Ninevites are just terrible. So, hey, Israel, open your walls, remove your borders, and just let's let all the Assyrians and the, and the Ninevites just come down into your place and you guys share the gospel with them. If they don't skin you alive first. What he did was he sent people to where they are. I'm all for that. I'm all for loving refugees and, and opening. And unfortunately, you know, there, there is a difference between an enemy of God and, and, and an enemy of God their heads will come off as did, as did Goliath. The enemy of the God, the enemies of God off with their heads and their heads come off as Goliath's head come off. And certain people are just an enemy of God. They're an enemy of Israel. But not again, not that we don't. And none of us as Christians, you know, you know what Jonah, Jonah was by all means necessary. He was a racist. He was the true definition of a racist. He hated the race of the Ninevites and he wanted them all to die and he didn't want to go there because he wanted God to murder them all. Now, do we, do any of us as Christian people, do you, do you identify as someone who hates refugees or hates Muslims? Absolutely not. We, we want to see Muslims. We want to see refugees. We want to see them come to Christ by the droves. Now, again, I don't know where these numbers come from and I don't know how to confirm or deny this stuff, but I, it is out there. And, and, and statistically right now, the people group where the largest number of people are coming to Christ, do you guys know what, what people group that is? It's Muslims. In places where it's an absolute crime to have a Bible punishable by death. In places where if you lead somebody from Islam to Christianity, you, you will pay with your life, off with your head. If someone in your family leaves Islam and becomes a Christian, you have to do the honorable thing and, and do an honor killing and kill that son or daughter or that person in your family if they leave Islam and convert to Christianity. In these places, by the hundreds of thousands, Muslims are coming to Christ who are receiving dreams and visions of Jesus Christ. And God is doing an amazing work for those that want opportunity. They're getting saved. And, and God is working. And for and Jonah, who's called to go, you know, and the thing is, we have a pastor who's going to speak. He's going to speak at this conference we're on our way to. And in his church, Southern California Church, their vision last year was they wanted to send out 20 families to Muslim only countries. 
And, and they were sending people to the mission field. And, and if we're going to send people, believe me, we are all for that. We're going to support them, and we do. We're going to help pay for them. We're going to get them there. But it has to be a call of God, and you have to have a call. But when God, God puts that call on your life, you go. And, and we had a family in our, in our church at Joshua Springs, the Wahlbergs, family of six. And God called them, and he had a, he, he, she taught English. And they were in, and I'm not sure which city, maybe Lydia might remember, but they were in Afghanistan as full-time missionaries, and they lasted seven years there. That's a long time. Their plan was probably to stay, but it got to the point where it was so dangerous that, that they had, the Lord, the Lord told them, and the Lord called them out. But seven years they lived there. In, in, in conditions in Afghanistan that would make the slums of Mexico look like the Holiday Inn Express with the light on. They, 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 they are terrible. Like, talk about third world country conditions. I've been to Mexico in some really impoverished places and thought it don't get no worse than this. And, and Afghanistan will make that look like the Hilton. They have in, in, in Afghanistan, the, the sewers are open and they run down the middle of the street. And, and, and even in the meat markets where you go to like what's no, what would be considered the, where you go buy your food, the meat hangs in open air, covered in flies, on a street with an open sewer running down the middle. Now, side note, you know what they, you know in Afghanistan what they call those sewers? They call them Jews. That, they call them Jewies. That they, that's what they tell their kids they are. That's where the Jews go. That's what the Jews are. And that national hatred and anti-Semitism that takes place. And, and our family goes and lives there. It, they, they have conditions in the food and because the water is unclean and everything else and everything is so unsanitary. Can you imagine seven years I lived there? To eat a peach, you have to wash it in iodine. Iodine's that black like stuff they put on before they're going to sew you up or something. So they're washing fruit in iodine to be able to eat it. And just went to serve and to reach out. And we supported them. Lydia and I sent money to them personally. And our church supported them. And, you know, and we we're, we're, we're definitely have a heart for sharing the gospel all over the world. But again, don't, don't let anybody accuse you of a Christian of being unsympathetic or not favorable towards refugees or Islam. Because you have a stance that, that says that it's, it's, it, it's a Trojan horse. And they have to be vetted and extremely vetted. And, and no, nor would it be wise for us to allow unvetted. And if you think it is, again, if you disagree with me, do, do a little homework and just go look at what the conditions, the refugee conditions are like in Sweden and in France and in Germany. And you'll see, you'll see firsthand for yourself what's taking place over there. And it's scary. It's really scary. So that's not weighing in on the refugees crisis thing. That's talking about Jonah going to Nineveh. Are we, still, are we in verse 1 yet? Verse 3. All right, and we got communion today. So we got five minutes to do the last three, cha- four chapters. <clears throat> but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We put the map up. Free, flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went, get out your pencil. The first thing you're unrise, you underlined in verse 2 was arise, go. The next thing is the word down. When you see the word down, I want you to underline it. Underline it. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And then I want you to underline, so he paid the fare and went down into the to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the ship. He goes down into the hole of the ship in a minute. And he gets on a boat going the opposite way of Nineveh from where he was. 
Now, Jonah was a prophet. That area there, it says Gath, Hefer. That's where Jonah was from. It's in the area today of modern-day Galilee and Israel, northern Israel where the Galilee is. And then if you go straight down south, you went, you see Nineveh. And where Nineveh is, that's modern-day Iraq. Okay, that would be the tip corner of Iraq. The ruins of Nineveh are still there. ISIS is destroying them. Nat Geo ran a, a, a story online, and, it, and it's it's it's... ISIS destroying some of the ruins of Nineveh and some of the walls that are still there in antiquity. And the, high, and the title says, Why Does ISIS Hate Geography? But that's, that's consistent with Islam everywhere they've gone. Everywhere that Islam has gone and conquered, they've destroyed the artifacts and they've destroyed the, the, the remnants and the remains and just completely destroyed. They destroyed Jacob's well and they've destroyed things wherever they've gone. And so um, he went directly south to Joppa, and that's where the port city of Joppa was, and he got on a boat there, and he was going the opposite way. You can see, uh, you can see Italy there, shape of a boot, so you know where you are. And he went, and, and Tarshish is about 2,000 miles the wrong way. Where Tarshish is, um, is modern-day Spain, where that dot is. Um, and so what else happened in Joppa that was interesting? In Acts chapter 10, Peter was, where was Peter when God called him to share the gospel with the Gentiles? He was on a rooftop in Joppa. And it's interesting, this is where Jonah was when he was supposed to go and share the gospel with Gentiles in the Old Testament. And so he traveled, and you see that little arrow that's kind of back and forth where it's solid there in the beginning. Now the Bible doesn't tell us, so we don't know exactly how far the boat got on its way to Tarshish before they threw him overboard and the, the, the whale swallowed him or the big fish swallowed him. And he came back, but um, that's kind of the general idea of, of, of what's what, the way it looked. And then in verse 4, you can put the other one back. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up, and then the mariners were afraid. Do we have any Seattle Mariner fans in here? here here's a verse for you. The mariners were afraid. One knee smote the other. You know why the mariners were afraid? Because the Dodgers were in town. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down, and there's the word down again underlined, into the lower parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. So the world is afraid and the church is asleep. And it says, so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Even this, even this Gentile captain took hold of one of God's words and he said, hey, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider that we may not perish. And it goes on and they cast lots and then they began to, um, the lot fell on Jonah and they said, Jonah, what's going on and why are you, um, why did you do this to us? And Jonah said, throw me overboard and, the, and the, everything will cease. And it says they began to row harder because they didn't want to have to throw Jonah overboard. And when the wind and the, the storm just got worse, it says that they made a decision and they began, they prayed to God of heaven. And they said, God, don't hold this guy's blood on our hands. We're innocent of this guy's blood, but we have to do this. In verse 14, it says, Therefore they cried to the Lord, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord... They had called out to their false gods and their false idols. 
exceedingly and had offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. It's pretty cool. You know, you see Nebuchadnezzar. After the testimony of Daniel, this pagan king Nebuchadnezzar probably gets saved by the end of his life and in this great story. But multiple times he decrees that the entire Babylon would worship the Lord God of heaven. And in Jonah's life and in, in your life and in my life, that that should be the result of the people around us is that when they see your God, and they see how your God shows up and delivers and is different than their God, that, that they want to worship him. And then in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now the word there, it doesn't say whale anywhere in the Bible, right? It says big fish, and it says God prepared it, just like God prepared the wind. The wind in the story was just as supernatural as the fish. And God also prepared the fish. Now, the word, the Hebrew word there is gad. And gad can mean creature. It can mean um, big fish or it can be translated whale. But the Bible never tells us what Jonah was swallowed with, whether God created something that was supernatural, that was just for this occasion, or whether God used the natural whale that was in there. Now, we've read stories, and one of the things we always do is we go to history and we say, has it ever happened before? Do we have any account of, of a person being swallowed by a whale? And, and you can look them up. There's, you know, we have the story of Moby Dick that came from real legend. And yes, there was a guy in the late 1800s who was on a whale ship. And he was swallowed by a whale that they were hunting. And they, 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 two guys went overboard. One drowned. One disappeared. They didn't know where he went. They ended up catching the whale. They had him on board. It was warming up. And they began to process the whale uh, immediately. And 18 hours later, when they got to the stomach content, they cut it open and out came their friend. And he was bleached white and he was unconscious. And he said later that he wasn't unconscious for lack of oxygen, but for fear and that he was able to survive. And we've seen in a sperm whale where they've swallowed entire giant squid. Now, the largest um, animal on planet Earth, anybody take a wild guess what that is? It's a blue whale. Okay, this room is 50 feet wide. Blue whales can grow up to 100, 105, 110, some 115 feet long. So it's the, the whale is twice as long as this building. Any, any, any problem swallowing me? Okay, but again, if, if we're going to look at something in nature, let's, let's look at the true science of it. So we look at a blue whale, which would be an obvious choice. But here's the interesting thing about a blue whale. As the blue whale opens its mouth and it only eats that plankton and little things, it comes back before it gets to the whale's belly. And in the back of a blue whale, the area that the food and everything goes to shrinks down to an area between four to seven inches. A baby's head wouldn't fit through there. So Jonah didn't go into a blue whale. Scientifically, it it doesn't work. The science is not there. It's not supported by the science. Um, and we have other fish and whales. The, uh, a sperm whale is very different. And a sperm whale could possibly be the culprit because with this story, with this whaler and, and, um, and a sperm whale can swallow, could swallow an entire man, a whole army of men. Um, and again, they found contents inside the belly of sperm whale of giant squid. And you guys have seen those on, on, on Nat Geo before. But again, it's, it's really irrelevant. Because the Bible says that God prepared a great fish. So no matter what, God prepared it. Whether he used something natural or he made something special, right? How many of you guys believe Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He can create the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. 
can he not create a fish to swallow Jonah for a couple days? I mean, shoot, he could have had that thing like the Holiday Inn up in there. He could have had the light on for him. He could have had a little desk and nightstand and, you know, exercise bike or whatever, you know. Um, you know, what if I told you guys that God prepared a, a big fish that would hold a hundred men under sea for 30 days at a time in absolute comfort. They would eat, they would move about in, inside the belly of this thing that God created. And, and, and they could communicate with places all over the world. And if they got angry, they could shoot things out, out of the blowholes that would destroy entire cities and, and states if they wanted to. Would you believe me if God created that? Well, I don't know. Well, it's called a submarine, and man does, did create it and do create it, and hundreds of men. You know, the interesting thing about those submarines is there's technology that's developed a long time ago now that, that actually draws oxygen from ocean water that pumps into the ship so that it can stay underwater for 30 days at a time. Now, why, why would the world not have a problem believing that man could put 100 men under sea for 30 days at a time, but God couldn't create a fish that would swallow Jonah? And the ironic thing is, in the study of the book of Jonah, it's not even about the whale. There's three verses about the whale in the whole story. And, and there's a worm in the end of the story in a bush that gets just as much publicity as Jonah. Maybe we should call this story from now on Jonah and the worm. Because it's really the worm at the end of the story that, that gives the lesson, not the whale. The whale was just something that God used. All right, enough about a stupid whale. Oh, whale. Enough about that. So chapter 2, um, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and the God. I'm in such a hurry. I'm trying to speed up for you guys. I can't even read. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of hell, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me and all your billows and all your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. I went down to the mornings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up my life from the pit. When my soul fainted with me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you. I will pay with the vowed salvation of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. So... The cool thing about Jonah and, and those verses we just read, every one of them is a direct quote from the Psalms. Jonah had a very working knowledge of the Bible. He knew the Word of God. He's in the belly of a whale quoting Psalms in his prayer verbatim, word for word. Because as a man of God, he knew the Word of God. You know the interesting thing? The staple of all the men in the Bible, you find one thing that's consistent in every one of their lives of the men that God really uses they know the word of God. In a minute, Jonah's going to start quoting scriptures and, and things that he learned from reading the book of Exodus that he knew verbatim. And so Jonah knew the word of God. And then, and then Jonah, or the whale spits Jonah up on the sea. And I used to always think that Nineveh was like right on the edge of the, of the sea where the whale spit him up. But it's really not. From the map, you can see that it's several hundred miles inland. And so Jonah had to take off on his way to Nineveh. He, he, he possibly... Very most likely could have been bleached white by this time. 
smelled like whale vomit. Can you imagine what that would even smell like? And, and all the fish and the guts, I mean, just, ugh. He probably had seaweed hanging off his hair. No wonder why the people in Nineveh repented when he got there, dude. That dude comes running down the streets of Tooele. I'm going to get my life right with Jesus, man. So he's there, and it says, And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Look at your neighbor and say, the second time. Okay, now look at the neighbor that you chose second. Say, second chances. Second chances. God of second chances. That's such a theme we hear all the time about the Lord. Is that here's this guy. He, he, you know, by all means, Jonah knew the Lord. He knew the word. But he's got a lot of things going against him. He, he, he by his own admission, is a racist. He hates this people. He, he's rebellious. He runs the other way. God uses this guy anyways. You know, that, that's one of the cool things about the Bible. When you look at stuff like this, you think, man, if God can use these people, he can use me. And if God can use Jonah, he can use you. And not only, and not only is God a God of second chances, because that sermon goes on, right, and preaches itself, but God's a God of third chances and fourth chances. And here we see right in the Word of God where God speaks to him a second time, and he says, preach. This is what God tells us as messengers of Christ. Preach to the message that I tell you. So give the word that I gave you. Go and share what I told you. It doesn't have to be dynamic. It doesn't have to be life-changing and altering. It doesn't have to be something that nobody's ever heard before. It's not what God judges it on. What he tells you is go give the message that I tell you to give. And God gave Jonah a message, and he was supposed to go deliver it. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and the word of the Lord, now Nineveh, was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and he said eight words, the whole sermon of Jonah, yet 40 days and y'all going to die. And yet 40, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight simple words. The message was word. And what happened as a result was the greatest, listen, the greatest revival in human history ever broke out in Nineveh. 120,000 children who don't know their right hand from their left hand. At what point in your life do you learn left and right? What grade? That's third, fourth, second. There was 120,000 younger than, than that age. And that's just a way to do the math. And if you do the math on then how many adults, possibly 2 million people in Nineveh who repent and get saved. You know, our world is marked with revivals and great revivals. In the last several hundred years, we've had some amazing revivals. Our church is a part of a revival that began in the late 60s and the early 70s called the Jesus Movement. And it was all the hippies that were coming out of that free love, whatever they had going on in the 60s, um, hate Ashbury and all that stuff. And so many of those hippies in the, in the late 60s and the early 70s were coming to Jesus. And this thing was sweeping all over the United States called the Jesus Movement. And Calvary Chapel was kind of born or grew out of that particular revival. We go back and we have, um, you know, in the early revivals of D.L. Moody in Chicago, where, where he began to preach and he preached to, over his life to millions of people and complete explosions of the gospel around Chicago and then around the nation. We have Billy Sunday and we have, um, before that, we have um, men like Charles Finney who, who led great revivals all over in the turn of the century. We think of Billy Graham today and, and, and how in the 50s and beginning in the 50s and the 60s, Billy Graham began to preach and revival broke out. And then we, you know, today with Greg Laurie and the Harvest Crusades that have seen hundreds of thousands of souls come to Jesus Christ over the years. 
Now we just need a revival 2017 Tooele. How do you guys think about that? We, we have less than 1% evangelical Christian in Tooele County. So there, there's a harvest field out there. Let's get out and reach them with Jesus and share the gospel with them. And it starts with each one of us sharing our faith. We're, we're out of time, you guys. So I, I'm not going to finish for. Please read it. Um, I, I'm just going to comment. Um, I, I want to read one part. Look at chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. He got mad when they all got saved. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish because I knew you, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and the one who relents from doing harm, the one who doesn't want to do harm, the one that has no pleasure in the death of the wicked that die and go to hell. And Jonah said, I knew you were going to be gracious. How did he know? And how did he know God's nature? Because he had read Exodus 33 and 34. And he knew God was going to be gracious. And God poured out his amazing grace on ISIS. Crazy. Hard to, hard to swallow sometimes. Sometimes we don't want God to be gracious to those people. Well, you know what's funny about God's grace? You guys always want grace when it comes to you. Right? How many of you guys have some guy zip by you in traffic and run, weaving in and out? You know, and you drive about another mile and he's pulled over by a cop. What are you saying to yourself? Ah, I hope that guy gets the fattest ticket I've ever seen in my life. But that's when you're driving like that and the cop's in your rearview mirror. What are you saying? I hope I get the fattest ticket I ever got in my life. No, you're saying, oh, I hope he has mercy on me. I hope, he's, I hope he'll let me go. Because when it comes to us, we want grace. But we don't, we don't want to apply or give that grace to somebody else. And, and, and God's grace, you know, the greatest song ever written in human history is Amazing Grace. Because it tells the story of the most powerful force that, that, that God's ever displayed. And that's his amazing grace. His grace is so sufficient. You know, the hardest thing for us to understand, for us to receive, for us to share, for us to wrap our minds around is God's grace. And it's powerful. And it's present. Amen. Let's have the worship team come up. We're going to have you guys come up out of your seats in a minute. And, and we're just going to invite you to come up and take a bread and a cup and go back to your seat. It's one song as we close. And just spend some time with the Lord as we receive communion. As you take the bread, the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. As you take the cup, the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. Jesus said, when you take communion, that you should do it in remembrance of me. So I encourage you guys always two things as you go back to your seat. Say a prayer and remember the price that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins and my sins. And number two, spend just a minute. You got one song. You got 30 seconds of your life to say, God, what do you want to speak to me? What is it in my life? What is it in my heart that, that, that you want to say to me this morning? I'm listening. And, 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 and open your ears and let God speak to you about something this morning. It's also a time if you want to get your heart and, and life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. You got sins you need to repent of. God's amazing grace is present and, and desires to, to touch you and, and use this time to get your heart and your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, for this bread, which represents your body that was broken for us. We do this in remembrance of you. We thank you for this cup, which represents the blood. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. 
And God, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins and that you help us to get our lives right with Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.